Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School, Chicago. I hope and pray that the following message blesses you with peace and hope in Christ, who died and rose for you, for free. It is yours. If you'd like to support God's mission of giving life, hope, peace, joy, and love in the city of Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org. Peace. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. In the name of Jesus, amen. That's why I'm all for the L.A. Rams this, uh, today, because Stafford has been hungry, because he was a Detroit Lion, and I feel so bad for the suffering he's gone through. He finally gets a little reward. Am I right or am I right? Everybody else? Okay, okay. What do we got? We got Cincinnati. Does anybody care here, Cincinnati? I'm a Detroit guy, so I like Stafford, right? Cincinnati, anybody here? It's okay if you are. I I like the Joe Burrow story. It's kind of interesting. Uh, L.A. Rams, or you hate them all because you're Bears fans and you're just mad because, is that the Packers? Somebody say Packers. Oh, yeah, there you go. (laughs) So suffering. We see Stafford go a long time, and eventually he's going to be rewarded. Thank goodness. Maybe. Well, already it's been good. I'm going to get off that, by the way. We're not talking. This is not the gospel of Matthew Stafford. <laughs> Suffering and happiness. It's kind of what it all comes down to. If you listen to any religion, religious figure, philosophy, all comes down to how to solve those two issues: to avoid suffering, to not suffer. To have happiness, I think, is everything. Like, if you could avoid and not suffer, that would be great. If you could be truly happy, that would be great. And I think that it just drives people more than anything else. Even in the Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness is like the top three. It's what makes a good country, we think, that you can pursue happiness. Good for you. What does that mean to you? To not suffer and to be happy. Is that your goals in life? It is. I think it is, right? What else would it be? This is ancient. You know, there was a prince, well-to-do family in India, Siddhartha. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, he was uh, Hindu, obviously. And um, was tired of the struggle of suffering and pursuing happiness and how to get there. And so he followed this, he pursued, uh, you know, um, he pursued the avoidance of suffering. He pursued the uh, aesthetic, aesthetic life, removing all desire. You know what I mean? If you don't desire anything, then you won't suffer. If you don't need anything or want anything, or if you're okay with losing things, you know what I mean? If you're okay with that, then you won't have pain if you have nothing to lose. So he just went down that road, and then, of course, also went down the road of happiness. Like, what if I just fill my face with pleasure? And this is really not Siddhartha. This is classic Greco-Roman philosophers, the same thing. Stoicism. Um, to, uh, what's, what's the stoicism, and the other one is purely pleasure, just live life for pleasure, etc. But, but everyone likes Siddhartha, like what we call him, they call him the Buddha, right, the enlightened one, 
looking for a way to avoid suffering, to stop suffering, and to be happy. And finally, Siddhartha comes down with this middle way, he says, right? And he's got this five-point journey. If you do these things, you will achieve this no suffering, or at least, I should say no suffering, but you'll be able to deal with life. One might say, be happy. He's got a path. And there's many interpretations, by the way. I don't mean to be too crass. There's all sorts of different types of Buddhisms. Uh, and, um, th- but the, the goal is the same. How do I deal with suffering? How do I deal with happiness? How do I achieve that? Well, here's, our, here's ways that you can do that. And it's good. And that makes sense, right? I can see why he would go down that road and I can see why people would follow Buddha and be Buddhist or a lot of religions if it seems like this is a path if I follow it it will help me deal with the the constant of suffering and it'll help me be happy in this world I mean that is our pursuit everybody across the board if you think about it their goals in life are to avoid suffering and to be happy Jesus has something to say to this. And I would say the most important person in the world has something to say to exactly that. Luke tells us in chapter 6 that Jesus had been, he'd been healing, he'd been doing things. So he's been, he was making people happy. Someone that was hungry, he gave them fed. He had fed the 5,000. He healed someone that was blind, so they went from suffering to now being happy, being satisfied. So Jesus was satisfying and making a lot of people happy, not by telling them, do this, this, and this, and you will be happy, but simply giving it to them, which is very important. If you were to stand outside of the globe and watch it from a satellite, you'd see darkness, that, that the world is of suffering And wherever Jesus went, you'd see him walking around in just a a circle of green where he went. Everything he touched, blooming. Everyone he touched, healed. Reversing suffering. Reversing the fall. Reversing death. So he was healing. People were following him. Why would you not? Because he can make you happy. And he can end suffering. So they're following him. They're always, there's tons of disciples. If you read Luke, there's a lot of disciples, not just the 12. Luke just calls them disciples. And they followed, they hung out with Jesus. They went everywhere he went. And why would you not? And then Luke chooses 12 of them, what we call the apostles or the big D disciples. Matthew, Mark, you know, et cetera. Or Matthew, um, John, you know, et cetera. Peter. So he chooses them. And then he's uh, talking to them, and now Luke, Luke says, I love this, I love that every word is important when you read Scripture. Every word tells you something. Luke says, he came down. So he's, he chose 12 out of them to be the number one, lead, the leaders of all the disciples. And then he has them, now he comes down. I love that phrase. Siddhartha and Buddhism is about going up. And doing this and this and this to achieve a point of being happy and not suffering or be able to deal with suffering, having peace, oneness. But that's not how God actually works. God comes down. He didn't tell you to come up. It's very interesting. The opposite of every religion. Every religion is 
you need to come up. But only what I would say, truly the one religion, who God is, he comes down. So Jesus comes down with them, and he stands, and I love what Luke says, on a level place. And I, again, I think, now could, you could, maybe that's not a good translation, it could be just a geographical, a plane, but the idea is he comes down, and he's on a level place, like he's with you. God comes down and is with you, who are suffering, who are struggling, who don't know how to be happy, who pursue happiness and is constantly eluding you. He comes down on a level place, eye to eye, with humanity. And a great crowd of the disciples and a great multitude of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him because power came out from him and healed them all. And then this happens. What's this great Buddha going to say, this wise one, this enlightened one, who's proven he really actually is? He lifts up his eyes on his disciples, and he says this. Listen to what he says. Apply it to your life. Listen. Blessed. So this is the good life. Blessed are those who are poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's insane. Contrary to all other philosophies, all other religions, the blessed person is the poor person who's not doing well in this world. The kingdom of God is theirs, who seem to be goofs, who don't work hard, you know what I mean, who are kind of losers in life. Blessed are those who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, and this is a key word, you're going to see this continually uh, repeated, for those who are hungry now. For you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep, who cry, who mourn, who are upset, who struggle, who are tired, who are not satisfied with the world, and your relationships are broken, and you see this outside, and you see it in your own life, and you're crying about it. Blessed are you. It's okay. Cry. For you will laugh. Blessed are those who cry now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account. Not because you're being a jerk, by the way. Just because people don't like you doesn't mean you're bearing your cross. might be you. But simply because you are hanging out with Jesus. Because you have his name on you. Rejoice, Jesus says. It's okay. If now your life stinks, you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're upset, things aren't going your way, you're poor. You're not successful. It's okay. If that's how you are now, you will be blessed. You'll be fed. You will even laugh one day you'll be satisfied, you're going to be okay. And then he says, but woe to you who are rich. 
for you have already received your consolation. Great, good for you. You got it. Woe to you who are full now. That's the key word. He says it all the time. I think we can apply it to rich too. Now, for you're going to be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everybody speaks well of you and you're popular and you got a lot of likes on your Instagram. One day, because that's what they always do to false prophets. It's how the world works. It likes morons. What is he saying? And I think you better take it seriously. Because he's walking down on the plane and he's looking you square in the eye. Is it purely an economic, uh, you know what I mean, Republican, Democrat, uh, you know what I mean, class warfare thing? What is he doing here? And I would say he's giving us this sort, he's giving us this, this, these Buddhist words of happiness and suffering. It's okay to suffer now, you're going to be fine. It's not okay if you are satisfied right now. Now, what's he saying? I titled the sermon YOLO, which for you people uh, older than 80, no, I'm joking. I, I had, you only live once. We even use this phrase anymore. I don't know. But it used to be a thing 10 years ago. I don't know what the kids are saying. Are the kids still saying this? YOLO. Do we know what that means? YOLO. Do we recognize that? You only live once. You only live once. It's not, it's not a modern idea. This is old news. You only live once. If you only live once, and usually it's a motivation for doing something that you're just kind of, should I do that or not? You only live once. Why not? And the idea is, what? Now is everything. And there's only now. Because I'm going to die and that's it. I only got one life. You hear this all the time. There's a song too. You only got one life. Bucket list, right? We use these phrases all the time to justify things that we do and say. And a lot of times it's funny or whatever, but I think there's a deeper meaning to it that's very, very contrary to reality, logic. Remember, Christianity is pure wisdom. It's not some weird ideas. This is logic 101. But it's definitely contrary to Christianity. You only live it once. You only got one life. Is no way to live. Jesus is knocking that one down. In other words, people use this because it's basically, I need to be happy. If I only live once, and that's it, if I'm here for 83 years, and that's it, well, I'm going to do things that make me happy. I want to be rich, and I want to laugh, and I want to be full, that Jesus talks about. Does that make sense? Because now is everything, because there is no tomorrow. People really live, and I think our culture today is determined to live like this to a, to a very dangerous point, that we run institutions by it, almost. And it's the predominating voice. The predominating voice is your worm food. So therefore, pursue happiness at any cost. Make sense? Your worm food, you're going to die. Pursue happiness at any cost because this is absolutely it. And if you really believe this is it, 
then Paul says it. Doesn't Paul say it? He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then this is a waste of time. Why are you in church? You could be getting ready for your Super Bowl party right now. If there was no resurrection of the dead, if you indeed only live once, and that's it, then this is silly. You should live for today, grab it all at any cost. Why would you not be happy? You should, and the opposite of pursuing happiness at any cost is avoiding suffering at any cost. People actually talk like this when it comes to youth, when it comes to euthanasia and other things like that, or abortion even. The motivation is, why live a life of suffering? It's, it's compassion, by the way. So I, I really don't, people are not being evil in their brains. They're like, why bring a kid into the world if he's just going to suffer? You hear this, right? Or the same thing. You know what? If they want to die, they should die. Why be miserable in this world? Those ideas only come to mind when you think that the point of life is to have a great party now and just be happy all the time. And if you're not, then it's pointless. Or to avoid suffering. This is illogical, by the way. And and Buddha discovered it, and anybody should that's alive for five seconds. Viktor Frankl, who wrote, uh, I talk about all the time, Meaning of Life. Life is suffering. Sorry. And you're not going to avoid it. So if that's your solution, and usually people that want to avoid suffering end up killing things. Societies, cultures, and governments who are intent on removing all suffering end up killing things. Because it's better to die than to suffer. I really mean this. This is a philosophy. And I think it predominates our world today. We're obsessed with removing, and I think we've invented a morality that's all about be who you are now. You should be whatever you want to be. It can be insane, but it doesn't matter. And the motivation is, why live for 83 years not doing and being and experiencing everything you want to and being happy? And it's wrong and evil to suffer. That is our morality and our religion today. First of all, it's dumb because it's illogical. You're going to suffer. If the goal of your life is to pursue happiness, you will be disappointed. It moves all the time. You're actually going to be less happy. I don't care if there's a God or not. Those are the facts. I'm sorry. Happiness is silly. It's a fury. It comes and goes. Doesn't mean it's bad. Happiness is great. But it's usually a byproduct of a different pursuit. Does that make sense? And avoiding suffering, avoiding suffering, you're going to miss out on a lot of happiness. So Jesus says, if you are happy now and everything's great because your whole life is set up to be happy now, woe to you. First of all, it's dumb. Because all the happiness you're collecting, (laughs) it goes by fast. I don't think I'm an old man now, but I feel like my life has gone by like this. 83 years is nothing, and then you're in a pine box, or maybe a gold box, but you won't know. And everything's gone. Or quite frankly, before that, you pursue life of happiness, it will let you down. You will let yourself down, because the real problem in life is not suffering, It's you. It's in you. You're your worst enemy. And you don't even really know yourself. 
Woe to you if you are pursuing for the sake of happiness, happiness today. And blessed are you who are hurting and suffering and mourning. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. And I think that's another thing too, right? It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. You're going to be okay because you are going to live forever. And if you're going to live forever, that changes everything, doesn't it? So if you're not going to live forever, as Paul says, pursue happiness. Be vain and ridiculous and do whatever you want to to yourself. What can you say? I don't know. But if, in fact, you are going to live forever, if, in fact, any struggle is temporary now, any suffering you have is temporary, and you will last forever. That changes everything. It actually brings meaning into suffering. Knowing that you will get out of all suffering because Jesus says, I will raise you up in the last day. Knowing that you will survive, now suffering becomes meaningful. And you're gonna miss out on its meaning if you're gonna always be avoiding it. It doesn't mean going, by the way, Lutherans are good at this, grabbing suffering and making sure everybody knows you're suffering, right? The self-imposed martyr. It doesn't mean that at all. It's going to happen. But now knowing that you're going to rise again, as Paul says, it's not in vain. Jesus is risen. Suffering can become meaningful. It can make you stronger. It can draw you closer to what is real. It can strip away the false gods of being rich, of being full, of enjoying the pleasures of this world that are just going to be taken from you anyways. It's a blessing to you to be suffering. And happiness can happen too even in times of suffering, because you have something that nothing can take it away, not even death. You see, Jesus is different than Buddha. Buddha gave a list of things to do to reach a point where you can deal and have peace in this world and one with the universe. Jesus doesn't teach us a path, because you'll fail at it. And because the problem with your life is you. Jesus came down on the plane, but more than that, came down to the cross. Jesus did that which Buddha said to do, if you will. He lived it. He loved his neighbor as himself. He went on that path, but not to show us the way, but to give it to us. And on the cross, more than the plane, he united himself with suffering sinners, the cause of our own suffering on the cross and died for those two thieves next to him, and for Siddhartha, and for you, and for me, and for all sinners and sufferers. And in his name, you are forgiven of that ridiculous and illogical and irrational desire to chase happiness at every cost that usually gets you in trouble and someone else hurt. You're forgiven of it. And three days later, Christ rises again. And again, Christ has not shown us the way he gives it to you. You are going to be okay. He gives you peace and hope. You're going to rise again from the dead. And that's something, knowing that you're forgiven, and knowing that you're going to rise again like Jesus, should bless you with a deeper happiness today that no matter what, you're going to be okay. You know what I'm saying? You can deal with the challenges because you're going to be all right. 
It should change how you look at the whole world from this deep knowledge that you're gonna rise again. Should change how you deal about the, the pandemic. You're not hyper crazy. We better solve the pandemic. Or who you're gonna vote for. My goodness, if we don't vote, if we don't get our politics right, if we don't do it, then the whole world, no. Because you know that life is suffering. You're never gonna solve all the problems in the world. You're not gonna fix America perfectly. You don't need to put all your marbles into politics, into medicine into your career, all those routes will let you down. You, they're good, by the way. Nothing wrong with helping each other out. Nothing wrong with running for office. Nothing wrong with having solutions to the pandemic, et cetera, and being serious about it. But in the end, we don't need to be obsessed about it because we're not obsessed with being satisfied now. We will be satisfied. It will be okay. We're not afraid of the pandemic. We're not afraid of America. We're not afraid of Russia. We're gonna be fine. So loosen up and be free to do the best you can in this world. Enjoy happiness as it comes, and it, I hope you're happy sometimes. But may you have that deep peace of knowing you're forgiven, you're gonna rise again. May that give you that deeper happiness. In Jesus' name, amen.